one of those ones, for example, like there it seems to work in uh, altering uh, perception of effort when you start in being tired, like we, we were talking before about this positive self-talk. Okay, positive self-talk is actually working. The Triathlon Show 207. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and in this episode, I interview Walter Sayano, who is a PhD researcher and a neuroperformance consultant from Italy, working at the University of Valencia. And we discuss topics like mindfulness in athletic performance, mental fatigue, as well as brain endurance training. I think it's an absolutely fascinating topic or set of topics, and it was a great chat with Walter. So we'll get right into it after thanking our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. It's uh, winter and in the Northern Hemisphere at least, and the base training is upon us. A lot of indoor riding. I just got off the bike from a three-hour ride, and uh, I sweated buckets, uh, to say the least, and uh, had to basically mop the floor after that. And uh, fortunately, I had a lot of good hydration with me, including uh, a couple of 500 milliliter bottles of precision hydration. I use pH 1000 generally in my training rides, even though I might actually go to ph 1500 sometimes but either way if you do long and hard rides like the one that i just did then uh, your performance can actually start to fall apart if you don't take care of the electrolyte intake that you have because when you sweat you might be losing a lot of electrolytes the sweat sodium concentration is very individual so that is something that precision hydration helps you figure out with their free hydration plan you can find it on their website and that consists of a simple quiz with 10 questions you just fill them out and then you get a suggestion for how to hydrate in your racing and even training so check that out and if you want to try your first box or tube of electrolytes for free use the promo code that triathlon show all one word all caps on precisionhydration.com and big thanks to roca that you can find on roca.com if quality matters a lot to you and you want the best of the best, then rest assured that Roca is a company that uh, puts their money where their mouth is and invests heavily in R&D and uh, wants to make sure that whenever they release a product, it's uh, going to take that product category up, uh, up a significant amount and be better than any of the alternatives that are out there. Uh, so that started with uh, the wetsuit line of Roca, but has now grown into including things like tri-suits, swim skins, and a lot of eyewear even more recently in the last couple of years. So check out all that Roca has, has to offer and get 20% off these uh, super high quality products with the promo code TTS, all caps. Without any further ado, here's my interview with uh, Dr. Walter Stajano. So welcome to that uh, triathlon show, Walter. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael, to invite me here to speak. It's a pleasure. I found you, actually, I didn't tell you, but I found you through Alex Hutchinson's uh, 
column, uh, Sweat Science. That's uh, when he wrote about uh, mindfulness in athletes and some research that you had been working on. And we'll get into that. But before we do, can you give us a, an introduction of yourself and who you are? Yeah, I, yeah. my name is Walter Stajano. I'm actually at the moment a researcher at the University of Valencia in Spain. And I'm also like a sport, a sport consultant for elite athletes. Uh, in in Europe mainly, and I also work as a as a neuro performance consultant for for like neurotech applications, like for companies that are interested into moving into the neurotechnology of uh, of a sport or physical activity. And so I do a little bit of both. And and for context, uh, listeners will be familiar with uh, Samuel Marcora, who was your PhD supervisor. Uh, can you tell us? Yeah, about, I did. Yeah. yeah, tell us about your PhD. What the topic was? Yeah, yeah. Like I, uh, when I was, uh, uh, I studied sports science as my undergraduate degree, and then I did a master in exercise physiology and rehabilitation. And this is when I started to be more interested about the central process of uh, of uh, fatigue. And for this reason, I decided to engage into a PhD in combination between the sports science department and the and the neurophysiology department in Bango University. And Samuele Marcora was uh, one of my supervisors. So my PhD topic was basically to understand the effect of uh, mental fatigue uh, or the effect of like cognitive processes on physical performance and on perception of effort. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, first, let's uh, discuss the, the mindfulness uh, the aspect of, of athletics, because that's the how I first found you and the, the initial topic that I wanted to talk about. So, so tell us about yeah. about the research and and as well the practical application of it and what you found. <laughs> So basically, because I've been always interested into into central process and how this cognitive process can have an effect on physical performance, although I started by studying the effect of mental fatigue, I was always interested in other type of topics, even more like psychological topics. Uh, I I was interested in self-talk, for example, and I was interested in mindfulness meditation, which is a type of practice who, who basically store into the sport world, I think, in, um, 15 years, I would say, at least. I mean, it's there for far longer than this, but let's say in the last 10, 15 years, there's been this storm about the importance of uh, using those type of meditation and how those can be applied into the into the sport domain. Uh, while I was working at the at the Olympic Committee in uh, in Denmark, we had this chance to run uh, a research with the uh, with the with the uh, under nineteen handball national team, and basically we did a study uh, check uh, seeing the effect of uh, six weeks of uh, mindfulness training. On, uh, on physical on physical and cognitive performance in athletes and it was very interesting because uh, at the end of the study basically uh, we saw that the group engaging into the m- mindfulness meditation they improved not only their physical ability basically we're talking about a specific test created for the for the for the handball sport but also like a more generic one like for example like sprinting and sprinting with the decision making on top of this one we also saw 
that they improved from a cognitive perspective. So they were more capable to sustain uh, a high mental load than uh, with uh, certain cognitive tasks that we use to assess this. And as a third, and I found it one of the most important parts as well, is that on a social perspective, all the athletes engaged into the mindfulness training, they improved. Like they improved into the score in schools, they improved into the social settings at home. So this basically makes this type of intervention like uh, an all-around uh, win-win situation. How how big were the effects that you saw? Like if you measured, can it be measured in percentage improvements or something like that on the different levels, the athletic and cognitive and social? Yeah, uh, I think, oh, let me, I'm trying to, on the top of my mind, I think that in terms of uh, of, a, of a cognitive, of cognitive uh, performance, I think they improve around 15% more compared to the control. Actually, there was a quite quite a big improvement, but not but not completely unexpected compared to previous studies. Yeah. In terms of physical performance, the um, the mindfulness group it, it was on average eight and nine percent better than than the placebo control. And I think uh, the type of uh, task that we the type of physical task that we decided to apply had a very heavy decision making process. Um, so can you, de- like, can you describe, uh, the, attributes. Can you describe yeah. the task a little bit more? So that you yeah. So one of the tasks, basically, it was what is called like, basically, it's, uh, it's, um, uh, it's a sprinting exercise. So basically, you need to sprint for five meters. And at the end of the sprint, there was like different lights. It's, 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 it's a kind of traffic lights. Uh, you have it like in front of you, which lights up in three different directions. So once you sprint at a, at at all out speed, then when you pass, like uh, I call it, like uh, at a, a base light, these traffic lights they light up, and you need to uh, you need basically to go where the lights tells you. So you can go mm-hmm. either straight or right or left. And uh, so basically, they were doing this one m- multiple times continuously. And the interest in the very interesting part was that the people engaging to the mindfulness. They did not improve their sprinting ability, the five meters all out, because I do believe this is a very uh, also peripheral um, aspect. So like it really depends also from your physical training. But they did much better into their ability to process the signal and decide where to go. Mm, yeah, interesting. So on average, they were 8 9% faster in deciding where they need to go based on a stimulus. Yeah. Clearly, the stimulus in this case is a light. It's not like an opponent. But this is, I think, uh, we uh, we tested this one on the on the handball pitch or on the on the handball court. So, but we could not have an opponent deciding. So sometimes yeah. you use it where you have. But this was very interesting aspect because it's basically involved more the decision making process and less like the actually peripheral muscle muscle power um, yeah. aspect because the sprint did not change in uh, in a second battery of physical test they were doing a kind of very specific test where they were simulating how they're supposed to defending so basically they had a, they were in a position and in front of them there like five lights 
in a, in a semicircle. And based on when the lights it lights up, they needed to go, run to the lights, touch it, and come back to this to this main uh, base point where they are. And they need to do this m- multiple times. The tricky part was that the we made a rule that the lights on the left they need to be touched with the right hand, and the lights on the right they need to be touched with the left hand. This is because this is how you cover in handball when the attackers come to you. I don't know if you can try to picture, but it's yep, basically yep. when the attacker coming on your on your left, you need to cover with your right hand, otherwise he goes inside in the center and his chances to score increase. So by yep. doing this type of a protocol, which is an adaptation on of a, 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 an an already validated protocol, you had a chance not only to assess how fast they respond based on the lights, but also the amount of mistake they do with the hands when they start being tired because they were mistakes. And, and was, this second test, was it also more cognitively demanding than physical? Yeah. So would you think that the improvements were... Yeah, uh, this was. I think this was very highly physical demanding and cognitive demanding because the amount of times they they needed to to touch the lights were actually quite a lot and they had very little uh, rest in between so it, it was a very anaerobic exercise but the point was this like most of the intervention that we did in in this type of research and in general in the in the in the research I'm I'm uh, I'm doing with the athletes it's usually aim not only at seeing an improvement when you're fresh, but to see how you respond when you're already tired. Because this is where you see the difference between the people winning and the people losing. Yeah. No, that's uh, a perfect uh, setup and methodology for uh, for that sport and for, for other team sports. Now, of course, the, what the listeners now will be thinking is that we're triathletes and a lot of our races are just, you know, you're biking on a road and there's nobody in front of you. You just have to keep 12 meters to the next cyclist yeah. and you don't have an opponent trying to score against you. So is there... Do you think there is any benefit for endurance athletes with uh, mindfulness? And is there research from that you know of in that area, in the pure, more physical aspects of uh, of performance? I think I think um, there is there is at the moment there is a lack of direct evidence. So that if you do a mindfulness training, this can or cannot help like an endurance athlete. But there is a lot of evidence. They prove how mindfulness has an effect on uh, on all the type of uh, emotion emotion regulation processes that they are very important for the endurance athletes. Because you need to remember that um, even when you decided if even if you when you decided to um, to to do, for example, a triathlon competition where you have three sports like uh, swimming, cycling, running, you know already that when you get to your to your running, you will be tired from the cycling, you will be tired from the swimming. Into this, into the first two steps, there is a lot of decision to take. And the the interesting part is that is that your ability to perceive how much effort you do in this like the perception of effort, it's very heavily dependent also of how much tired you are from all the decision that you took during the first two steps for the last one. Mindfulness is very interesting because what it does, it, it makes your brain 
like more it's like to more efficient like it allows you to not to focus on one thing and to exclude all the possible variables that basically are only a disturbance for you and this is very important because it, i call it it reduces the noise it reduces the noise of the of the environment into you and it and it allow you to focus more into into the moment on, on into what you're doing and this one i think is very beneficial over time because it allows your your brain not to let's say not to deplete this kind of let's call it energy this is not correct scientifically but i think for the audience it makes sense this energy that you have for regulating your your pacing uh, based on your perception of effort or based on your opponent and there is a lot of decision to take, even when you're swimming. So where you need to position yourself, if you decided that you need to sprint a little bit more, the same in the biking, because you prepare the swimming at the biking to make sure that you arrive there in the in the in front in the pack with everyone to start running. Does yeah, it make when, sense? when you said that yeah. about yes, it does. And, and when you said that about. Uh, running when you're already tired from the swim and the bike yeah. uh, it brought my mind to all the negative talks that tend to creep in unless you are really good at suppressing those negative thoughts and you actively using positive self-talk yourself yeah and and that brings us to mindfulness that's uh, i guess it's uh, non-judgmental awareness it's is what it's often described as right yeah. and uh, and to be able to to I guess perceive what you're doing without attaching any judgment to it. Yeah. I'm not feeling good or bad, and yeah, what exactly. ends up happening so you try to be that we feel yeah. bad when we're not bad. Yeah, and, you try yeah, to be and that ob- objective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even, even when we I don't need you, to. Yeah. yeah, you try to be objective in the situation where you're in, and this is very important. I think it's something that has been it's been talked even before for many years you know so how you come back from uh, from either a defeat or how you come back from uh, uh, from running like uh, a cycling part where you didn't you didn't end up like where you were supposed to and then you start dwelling into the negative thoughts that your competition like uh, might not be as good as you expected and all these thoughts in reality they going they they will accumulate into your into your brain and they will make you even more mentally tired and they will increase automatically even your level of fatigue so mindfulness in this perspective it can be very handy because it can first allow you to get out from a negative mood and put yourself back into a positive one so basically it can help you if you if something went wrong into 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 your race and you need to go back into your positive mode or let's say a more objective mode to decide which which decision you need to take. And at the same time, it can help you when you're already tired because it will happen to avoid this, uh, this negative self-talk that, that comes into your brain automatically. And it's, uh, and it's very powerful because for people that know a lot about fatigue or m- m- mental fatigue, it's very tricky mental fatigue because you, when you're mentally tired, many things happen. So your emotion is completely upside down. Your mood is very strange. Your ability, your, your perceived ability. So your ability to perceive how good you are in doing what you're doing is completely altered. So 
you really might feel that you are not capable to do what you are about to do. And that's yeah. very tricky. That's very tricky. It's tricky for the athletes. It's tricky for normal people. It's tricky for military personnel. And it's something that it does not always come up like, uh, oh, I'm mentally tired. No, you only see the effect of this. You only see the bad mood. You only see this emotional upside down. You only see this uh, this low self-confidence. Okay, so you can explain it from a psychological perspective, but it can be explained also from a neurophysiological perspective. Mm, yeah, that is very interesting. And it, yeah. yeah, and in this domain, mindfulness helps you. Yeah. In, in, in all of these aspects. Yeah, I thought of another example that might be useful and, and tell me if you if you agree or not. But I'm thinking that in in a period of uh, of just heavy training or even tra- training in general, a lot of endurance athletes, especially, I think, are very, very obsessed almost with doing really well every time in, in every workout. And, and if we don't have the perfect yeah. workout, then we get uh, sort of in a bad mood and we, we can't be sort of objective to our workouts. And then that can negatively cause a negative spiral. Whereas if we could be a bit more detached from, uh, from the outcome of a single workout, then that will help us on the whole in the big picture and the grand scheme of things have a better training period with less negativity and less uh, used, yeah. I guess, mental resources because we are so upset about not not performing every workout as perfectly as we would ideally like to yeah yeah i think so, this is a sorry no no sorry go on ah so i think this is this is a little bit the uh like uh, the the damnation of the perfectionist people i say like you making a plan that you're trying to follow as much as you can sometimes it's not always possible i think because training is also including like moments and period where you realize that uh, you're not able to do something because you're either too tired or because you're too stressed or because some other events in your life are there and i think your ability to accept that this is uh, can happen like like it happens to anyone it's not that some people, even the even the strongest athletes uh, in the world, are not, are not people that they they never miss a training session, not at all. But actually, actually, if I must say, some of the athletes that are like on the top in the league in in, in uh, marathon, for example, are athletes that know exactly when it's time also to like to slow down. So it's, they're not all, always on the top all the time. Because you cannot, and also they realize when they be they 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 are trying to push in a lot in into a training session, but it's not working out. It's getting really tiring. So then they decided to slow down or to change the type of training at that moment. And this is very important because it might make you realize that you might have some of the problems, or you might be a little bit in overreaching, or you might be in overtraining. So I think the ability to know what's going on with your body, with your mind, I think it, it, it overcomes your obsession to always want to be onto this training, uh, onto this training plan that you created. That maybe it's working in a, in a perfect environment, but it cannot be applied always. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so if you talk about how to actually do mindfulness, what, what uh, sort of protocols or uh, do you recommend and uh, what what should a normal everyday athlete do should they use apps or is there something more specific uh, 
Yeah, okay. So uh, I can tell you what we did for the research, which I think it was a very nice combination. We had a frontal uh, like uh, lecture, frontal teachings at the beginning, like uh, for three for three days, and then we had a once a week a kind of uh, um, coming back, still with this frontal teacher for the guys, and at the same time at home they were using an app. To actually make sure that they were that they were comply with the uh, with the like with with the training, the app was very handy to help you, like to get into into the state, like so to do. Okay, I need to do it. I'm going to use the app because some of the apps like they have this voice that basically accompany you through the process. And I think if if it's if it's done properly, it can be very handy. Ideally, in an ideal world, uh, if you if you are someone who meditates uh, or does meditation in, in a center, like in a certified center, like three times a week, five times a week, and then you learn how to do it by yourself home, even without the app, this clearly can be like uh, the the perfect world. But the app, in general, uh, it simplifies life sometimes, and 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 it helps in case you have a very heavy schedule. I think I think I think having a heavy schedule is something that is true for ninety five percent of the people listening to this. So, what is the the time requirement of this? Like, if if we assume that it's somebody that does not go to a center, they're basically left to their mm-hmm. own devices. What would you say that they should do? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, the effect we saw it was really interested even from just ten twenty minutes every day mm-hmm. of uh, mindfulness meditation. Yeah. Also because you might be very surprised to see how much people really are not able to focus or staying into this this moment for more than 60 seconds. So when you manage to do for 20 minutes, you might not notice, but into your brain, you're really changing something. I mean, it's been also proven with uh, neuro, neuro, uh, neurophysiological studies with fMRI. You're doing a big, a big favor to your brain. In particular, in nowadays society, where your ability to focus and concentrate on one thing for more than 20 seconds, it's very rare. It doesn't look like, but it's very rare. So when you decided to engage into something like this, for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes, you're really doing a big training, even if it's just every day. But you think the the, the everyday aspect is important, like two or three times a week is probably not enough, is it? It needs to be more consistent. No, yeah, but you start as a start. If you never done it, it might be difficult already to do sixty seconds. Yeah. So clearly, over time, the ideally uh, mindfulness might can be done every day, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, whoever has the time to do. And I think among because I know the athletes in general, you know that I mean I have I have this experience because many people came to me when I was a sports physiologist. Oh, we can do this. We can do this for the athletes. We can do this. So the athletes are clearly bombarded with like uh, 100 new things that they can do to improve their training every every month. I would say. So the problem was okay. What do I do? What do I use? Of all these 100 things, because I cannot use all of them, they give me the best effect. So let's say I have a 10 new training protocol that I can use. 
and I have uh, 10 new psychological interventions that I can use. But the athlete says only time for two. So which one do you choose? The point that I have, like, uh, and I told you before uh, about this uh, physical aspect, the cognitive aspect, the social aspect, is that mindfulness training is really, really effective in many domains of the athletes. It's, it's, it's effective not only in the performance, it's effective in the recovery aspect, it's effective in the, in the mental health aspect, and it's effective in the social aspect. And this is a lot of effect, believe me compared to other type of training that you do only because they make you go faster. Yeah, that is actually a very, very good point there, that the, re- the return on yeah. investment is, uh, goes way beyond. Yeah, so, and this, yeah, uh, and any and, and cross-border cross with, uh, with other domain, like uh, with nutrition, with, uh, like with the physical performance. So, I mean, that's why it makes, I think, very worth it. Like uh, it's a 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, very worth it because it's not only something to do with your, with your sport. Yeah. Yeah. It's something to do with yeah. your life. No, it's think. fascinating as a, as a podcast junkie, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and uh, one of the ones, a lot of listeners probably also listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast. He just interviews a lot of uh, successful people from various domains. It can be sports, it can be uh, business, it can be a creative uh, arts or uh, offers anything really and and the am- amount of people that he introduced that uh, mentioned meditation as one of the key things that they do every day to to keep up a high level of performance in whatever it is they're doing it's uh, it's really incredible it just shows anecdotally i think that there's definitely something to it yeah clearly so let's uh, move on to uh, no one final question about this yeah. uh if uh if the listeners start out with an app to help them get started, do you have a recommendation for for an app that uh, that you think is is good? Ah, okay. Um, I mean, I can tell you which one I used, which I I think they did a pretty good job. And uh, I think I used two app. One is big, like worldwide, and this is like uh, uh, Headspace, mm-hmm. which ha- has also a sport. Um, into into the app, you have a different different area, yeah. like where you can work on. And w- one of the area is actually sport performance. It was a new, it was a new like like uh, a new features that they in- in- introduced right after the Rio Olympic Games. So I yeah. know the athletes were using during Rio, and then uh, Headspace had this program after. Yeah. This is on on top of my mind, and this is like it's very it's very well known app where uh, I use this app to run to run the study I did. Uh, so and I think uh, it's very handy. Clearly, it's it's for English speakers, just yeah. for you to know. And another one I came across while I was in Australia was a Smiling Mind, which is a Smiley little bit mind. smaller. Smiling Mind, yeah, See, which is a little bit smaller, but it was a nice concept. I don't know the others for judging because I'm I'm sure there are like many valuable one around, and so but on top of my mind and has experience, I use those one and I found they are very handy because they have a lot of programs that you can follow, and some of them are very specific for athletes. Yeah, great. So, yeah. Let's uh, get into 
a separate topic, and uh, this will be more about uh, mental fatigue. As you mentioned, you worked on on that in your PhD. So yeah. can you basically talk about that whole concept and uh, and describe it a little bit, and then we'll jump into questions from there? Yeah. Okay. So now, when I was uh, doing my master in uh, 2006, uh, I, I started being very interested, like as uh, my supervisor was suggesting me, to look into mental fatigue. Because uh, mental fatigue, it's uh, it's very interesting aspect on everyday life in human people. You know, it's, I mean, from uh, from like a textbook uh, uh, this, uh, definition, you say this is psychobiological states of tiredness that makes your brain foggy, you know, and it makes you basically slow down in many aspects. Like it makes slow down your ability to make decisions, makes slow down your ability to react to things. He, he has he has a very negative effect on your mood and on your motivation as well. So it's been found out that people are mentally tired are constantly demotivated to engage into certain behaviors that can be like physical activity, for example. Because I was very interested because we always used to um, define physical activity like a behavior in human beings. So this is this is this is very handy way to approach uh, the problem or like this concept of mental fatigue, because people with mental fatigue they have a problem in in following certain behaviors. Like in this case, in in our case, we, we were interested in physical activity. And mental fatigue, like it's a big thing in sport, although it's one of the things that is there, but people don't talk. Or is there, but people don't notice because they think they they're doing everything correct, and and the and the athletes arrived at the day of the race, not mentally tired or super fresh because uh, they think that sleeping at night nicely means you're not mentally tired. So, but it, but then, or they thought that mental fatigue would not have such a big impact on physical performance. So well, we did a study, like uh, the first one that I, uh, I published with my supervisor, and uh, we proved that the people that were mentally tired had uh, like a, a reduction in cycling performance of 16%. And from that point on, there was many different research groups that they addressed a similar, uh, similar problem. So they they try to see how mental fatigue has an effect on different on different sports, like uh, on running, on kayaking, on rowing, or, or football. You know, a, a constant in, in, in all the study, or 90% of the study, it was the, the people mentally tired, basically, had a reduction in performance. Either it was an endurance performance, because the perception of effort was altered, uh, or it was like uh, a performance, a reduction in performance in some kind of technical skills due, for example, like in football. So it became a big thing. And that's why a lot of people started to put a little bit more attention on it. Uh, and this is very established now, right? There's quite a lot of studies on, yeah. on this. Yeah, because because uh, the people that there are some people they still question because the number of studies are not a lot, and this is true because I think we are now nearly forty studies. The problem is that some people don't take into account 
of 20-25 years of literature, they prove how mental fatigue has an effect on cognitive processes. And this has been established far earlier than when we decided to see the effect on a, directly on a physical performance. Because studies on pilots, they prove that uh, mental fatigue has a very heavy effect on their ability to drive cars, you know, or to or planes. But this is very well established even far earlier than uh, than when we started seeing the effect on the physical activity. A funny anecdote is that before before me and my supervisor we did the study. Like the only guy who did the study was like a famous physiologist, Italian physiologist, like at the end of uh, the nineteenth centuries. So. It's a way like uh, he waited 100 years to get back into Italian hands to to reproduce to repropose. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really funny, and I think that Samuel mentioned that because he did uh, yeah. this sort of finger weightlifting exercise. Yeah, Angelo. Like, he was Angelo Mosso, yeah. the physiologist. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's. Uh, that's a funny story. So listeners should go back and listen to the, the one with Samuel where he talked about that, <laughs> that experiment. Um, what, about the magnitude, you mentioned 16% in your first yeah, study. The magnitude depends on, uh, on, the, on, on the study you do, the, uh, the protocols that you've been used. Uh, for example, like we have seen it that um, you have uh, you know, the, the effect, it's big. In, uh, for example, in protocols where uh, where basically you need to decide when you can stop. So, for example, when you do what we call a time to exhaustion test, where we put a fixed power and we ask you to cycle as much as you can, it's where you see a good effect because this is really depends on uh, on uh, your ability to how you perceive the effort on the power. If you do a time trial, it's a little bit different though. Because clearly you are you are you are constrained by the time or, or or the space depending, and and still though if you if your perception of effort is altered, you see the the gear that you choose to pedal, like it's it's different because you are basically more tired. Mm. So basically, you think that you're starting with the proper gears, or but then you realize that it's very heavy, and it's not always related to to something at muscular level but if you do a time trial test rather than a time to exhaustion test do yeah. you, what sort of uh, you percentage percentage yeah yeah you wait yeah the percentage uh between between uh between one and five okay yeah it's a more it's right. a more yeah it's a more locked it's a more locked uh locked uh, type of test yeah i would say yeah, and that's usually even with other with training interventions, you see the same effect that uh, you have bigger magnitudes in time to exhaustion tests usually than in time yeah. trial tests. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay. But so, how, for example, in in our modern world, does uh, uh, mental fatigue arise? If you can talk about that, both from a practical standpoint, but also uh, what's going on inside inside our brains? What's the mechanism behind that? Yeah. Okay. So that's a very good question, and <laughs> that's what they're trying to understand. <laughs> yeah. The the things that we can see for our first, our, if we, if we talk in our daily uh in in our daily life, and I mentioned, I remember I did I I, I did a co- when I was in Denmark, I did a commercial for um um for a gym, 
like uh, discussing why going to the gym in the evening could feel more effortful because people were tired from the day spent into the office. So, and this is why, like, uh, to reconnect to your question, like, in a daily life, uh, a whole day of working in front of a computer can make you mentally tired. Yeah. In particular, if your day of work has been also very stressful, or you had some, uh, and if you had some arguments with your boss, which puts you in a very bad mood, and then I think uh, you have your mix, your mix, your perfect mix of. Uh, mental fatigue from where you try to engage into the into your physical activity clearly <clears throat> like uh, if you are an athlete it's a little bit uh, it might be a little bit different because uh, because you might get used to a little bit to it because yeah because you know really the type of training you're gonna do but if you are like a normal person you'll see that people really disengage completely to, to go into the gym or to do the sport that they were supposed to. Because when you're mentally tired, uh, also your ability to decide, which is based on, on also on uh, like your effort, is okay, how much effort do I need to put in to go into the gym? Okay, so this question raised into your head when you're mentally tired, and usually you disengage and say, I, I think I go home. Okay, because this is this is what mental fatigue has an effect on. Also, your 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 ability to make decision is called effort-based decision-making processes. So basically, it's your ability to decide based on the effort that you're gonna take, which is which is a common human characteristic. So if you if you think about it, you choose anything in life based on what is the reward you can get and how much effort you need to put. This is actually even in the in the animal world. This is how this is how they decide when they need to move. They move for hunting because the reward is a it's a survival. Or they move for escaping, which is the same. Yeah. yeah. So and you translate it into our world. And although we clearly are like we have a different brain, but uh, some things are still the same. And and I guess short term bias increases so that we are we tend to make the decisions that are more rewarding or feel more rewarding in the short term, even though in the long term yeah. that might be not as yeah. good for us. Or maybe yeah, or maybe like uh, we uh, we have uh, we make the decision that uh, the the causes less effort at the moment or less pain at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And clearly, maybe it might not be good for our long-term uh, perspective. Yeah. And to come back to your question about what happens in the brain, uh, we when we run some studies using caffeine to try to understand the combination or what can be involved, this was very interesting because, uh, because caffeine um, has this ability to basically cancel out the effect of mental fatigue. And this is because uh, the caffeine has an effect on the uh, on the adenosine adenosinergic system, and uh, and this is also something that we might believe has as could be a, some kind of neurophysiological basis of mental fatigue. So it's very because there is not a lot of studies done to actually see exactly like uh, what is going on. We can only see 
like either side effect or un, indirect results. Mm. For example, like uh, studies with caffeine prove that the effect on mental fatigue is completely like cancel out. And this could be due also because of this accumulation of adenosine in uh, in a certain sites in the brain. So when you when you ingest caffeine, uh, is the caffeine is binding on this receptor, and it doesn't allow the adenosine to bind and accumulate. At the same time, like uh, we noticed, the uh, people that are more or less mentally tired uh, has this uh, change in perception of effort. And perception of effort, like, and then we saw that there were like certain area of the brain, in particular the one involved in this effort-based decision-making process that I tell you, and those areas were more activated. So, in this case, like, I see that the mental fatigue increase or decrease the RP, and I see increasing or decreasing of activation in those area. Mm. So. So it's very like uh, they still like uh, we are still in very at the beginning of this type of research, but we we are trying to unlock and try to understand better. Because if we do understand the mechanism, we can try to find a way to counteract. Yeah, and, and yeah. So so can you go into that then? Uh, because yeah, caffeine. That it might not be the best idea to to rely on caffeine too much to to counter. Yeah. What, what are the other ways that we can use to uh, maybe avoid mental fatigue in the first place? But then, when we have it, to try to manage it. Yeah, uh, avoid mental fatigue. I mean, it, that's. I think. Uh, I think I'm. I'm. Yeah. So I'm working now uh, on what I call a cognitive recovery strategy. So, uh, so basically, it's a combination of strategies that you use when you're either mentally tired or you, or like you say, to try to reduce mentally, like m- mental fatigue. And uh, one of those ones, for example, like that, it seems to work in uh, altering uh, perception of effort when you start being tired. Like we we were talking before about this positive self-talk. Okay, positive self-talk is actually working. So it's one of the few mm-hmm. psychological interventions that actually does work. And it does, and it has this effect on reducing the RPE, the perception of effort, in, in particular when, when you're tired. And, it, and definitely it's working. Yeah. I'm working personally now on some type of sounds. I, we call it like uh, binaural beat sounds. Yep. Which seems to be type of sounds that somehow relieve the effect, the negative effect on mental fatigue. Um, we did some, we published a study and we submitted another one now, uh, purely in, in into the cognitive domain though, to see how people are mentally tired. Then when they need to engage into another cognitive task, but they've been listening to this, to these binaural bits, they still can perform as good as at the beginning, before they were they were actually m- m- mentally tired. Are you aware of so these? Is, are you aware of these apps, uh, uh, browser-based apps? Like there is one called Brain.fm, and there are some other ones as well. You know, there's they're yeah. kind of like music, but not exactly music, just rhythmic uh, music. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do, do and they... some of them, I think they have some binaural future. I think. Yeah, I think some of them do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Clearly, I, I mean, I don't know because I've been using, um, when I use them for my studies, I choose some that are validated uh, because we created by uh, 
ourselves and uh, with the group in Denmark we are trying to put together a kind of app that has those validated sound for which can be handy for like focus or concentration or reducing mental fatigue or for increasing your 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 easiness to fall asleep for example yeah and 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 it's a very interesting concept overall mm. it's just that there is more research to do into it i think and and you're saying that right now there there isn't really anything out there that has been validated that is publicly available uh no i'm actually uh with with sam when uh, we decided to do the the brain endurance training if yep. uh, basically we basically we decided to use those mm, mental fatigue stimulus as a training uh, this uh, this like into in, into the study that we did in 2014 15 with the help of the ministry of defense we showed that basically the people became more resilient to fatigue so this is a, let's say it's a long term uh, solution for trying to become more resilient to fatigue and recently i did a few more studies and two are already submitted for so i have the posters and the presentation in this in the conference of this year at the acsm and the css and i submitted the articles and basically this brain endurance training so to do this um let's say this mental fatigue in task during your training your physical training or straight after your physical training it seems to to create an adaptation then then uh, that can improve your performance i have very good data with the with the football players and with cyclists yeah so that's yeah that, that's very interesting and I, I remember talking with samuel about about that as well and uh, actually yeah i think that uh, he is developing an ap- application for that or i don't know if it's even potentially finished uh yeah there are actually many applications around okay where you can okay. look uh i i know alex made an article uh yeah uh, i think um, yeah, I, re- in, I read but that. He, he, yeah but he, he was on the on the outside the, uh the actually the newspaper yeah. the physical newspaper okay. did you read that uh, not in I the think I have it but but I, I think that he also has it in the online newspaper in the yeah. outside online because I, I in the last years like I've been also working as a consultant with some of those app that they wanted like uh, to have a kind of uh, feedback on on if they were doing like a, a good job yep. <laughs> in heaven so if you I mean if you want you can find uh, at least there are a couple of apps that they've been there is uh, that they're actually working delivering this uh, brain also this brain endurance training mm. concept yeah one is already out another one will be out uh, in march and sam is working on one like um, yeah like self-made like uh, the inside uh, inside the the university yeah this is as far as i know yeah, and what what how much of brain endurance training do you need to do? What is the typical protocol if you are going to try to do that? Okay, that's a very good question because uh, uh, when I uh, when I started doing the studies, like after Sam uh, in the last two years, uh, I realized straight away also as a uh, as a sport physiologist that you cannot apply 
huge amount of uh, of this cognitive stimulus on athletes because athletes do not have uh, extra six hours a week to actually yeah. doing this type of intervention. But then we decided to uh, basically reduce the amount of uh, time, but put this time in a, in a much more clever way. We realized that the effect of the cognitive training would be higher if you are already tired. So we, the first time that we tried, uh, I, was, I was in Denmark, and we used the, the national badminton players that they have actually we're talking people that are on the top 10 in the world and the idea was uh, that they were engaging into the normal training routine physical training routine and then they had into the moment where they were having a, a break they were engaging into into doing the brain endurance training Back then, we had a ve- we were very rudimental with computers. There was no, they were not up yet. But that was like uh, for two minutes. So they had a two minutes break between uh, session on court, and at the end of the of the training session, they would get an extra twenty or thirty minutes. Mm. Then it was effective because they were really tired, and on top of when they were tired, you would give them thirty minutes. And, and how many days per week training. did they do this? They did three times a week. Okay. And this effect was actually uh, from feedback that we got for them. Uh, at the beginning, it was rather powerful. So the first week, they said they were completely devastated. So the first yeah. time they tried, they say like they went home and say their brain was like dead. So they say like, usually I go home, I have a shower, I can cook. No, they said I went home and I and I collapsed on the couch. Mm. Clearly, you might have different effect uh, depending on different people. Yeah. Sad. What about you? Have some interesting studies as well where you have uh, looked at how professional athletes react to to endurance training and to mental fatigue. Yeah. Uh, what, is there a big difference there? In, and does that mean, can we infer from that that endurance training itself is a way of practicing your fatigue resistance to, to mental yeah. fatigue? Yeah, okay. So we uh, we ran a study like three years ago, four years ago, where we tried to compare the um, elite cyclists versus amateur cyclists to see if if the elite cyclists were a little bit better or not in uh, in resist to mental fatigue. And we were inducing only 30 minutes of mental fatigue. And the amateur cyclists basically reduced their effect, the, the effect of the cycling performance, and the elite athletes no. And one of the, into the discussion, one of the idea we had, like one of the explanation was exactly what you say the the type of training that they that they do in a way it makes you also more mental resilient and this is true because even uh, if you look at special forces training like they do certain type of training certain certain type of physical training that they definitely has an effect on their ability to respond to 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 threats or to respond to fatigue so yeah. this is uh, very well documented. The point is, uh, can you find another way to train them apart from using only the physical one? Because when you train them only physically, you you reach a point where you cannot you cannot add more. 
because otherwise you risk that people go into into overtraining. But you can find cognitive stimulus that you can add on top of your physical training. So clearly, some 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 categories of people like elite athletes or like special forces they're already more resilient than normal people because the type of training they do the type of life they have or probably also the genetics because when you when you deal with elite athletes they are, i don't know with with the team who is into the national team of of some country you're already talking about people that've been like uh, selected over a big population of cyclists so those are the best of the best so probably there is a combination of heavy training genetics you know which makes them also more resilient to fatigue the question is can this be trained even further yes it can because after all they're still humans so they're not aliens like a lot of people believe yeah so the point is, like I like I said before, is it's not that you, I go around and I do BT with all my athletes. It's actually quite the opposite uh, because people get very surprised that I do a lot of physical intervention uh, as much as or even more than the cognitive intervention. <laughs> because uh, they call me the mental fatigue guy, they forget that I'm also a sport physiologist. So yeah. anyway, the um, the point is the point is that there are some people that are prone to be more to be more mentally tired. Like there are people that are prone to have problem with their attention. There are people that have difficulties to focus. Okay, so you can see that you can see even those effect into the real into the real life into performance. You know, like you have people, they have problem. Uh, I, I cyclist who has problem when there are uh, three quarter of uh, of uh, of a race, cycling race. They have problem to stay into the pack, how to position themselves because they're starting being tired and everything like uh, it, it goes upside down. And then we do we do some tests, and then we see that these people can barely like do 30 seconds or any, or any type of cognitive test. And so then what we do with people like those ones, we engage in doing the training because we do believe that the training might be handy or the effect of the training might be more relevant than if they do something else. Yeah. So like discussing, like coming back to what we decided, what we said about the efficiency of a type of training that you want to use with with your athletes. So you have your choice of 10 training protocols because you got 10 new things you want to try. Which one would be the one that give you more effect for the time that you're going to use it? So this is something that carefully the coach decide with with the athletic trainer or the physiologist. Makes sense. Is there... Anything else related to the things that we discussed here that you want to add before we move into the rapid fire questions? Anything that we missed? Um, um, no, I think I think one thing that we, that it's, it's very important to underline is that like there's this heavy connection between mental fatigue and emotional regulation, and like I said before, this perceived ability concept. So. And all this mood mood alteration. So I think it's always very very important uh, that people that are interested or people that they are trying to to track the training they do that they never forget 
to try to find ways to track also how they feel emotionally. Emotionally, from a mood perspective, because these are very influenced by the mental fatigue and the other way around, and also with the motivation. I think this is this is really important because some people think that they are completely disconnected. It's not true. Yeah. So actually, you might realize that. So and this is where, for example, like doing mindfulness in general, it might makes you more aware of what is going on in you. Another reason why doing mindfulness can be handy. So it makes you more aware of things going on into your body or into your mind and how you can try to counteract or find the solution for it. Because I think an ability, the ability of an athlete is also to, to feel himself, himself, herself, and try to understand what is going on and try to know themselves a little bit more. Because then you can really like update and make your type of training better and better. Because I think a training that tailored for you, even if it does not include as much high intensity session like you wanted, uh, or, or as much a specific session that you think they were they were very they were very good for you, but then it's tailored for you, and then you are, you are able to recover properly, you are able to sleep properly. Then this one became more effective on the long run. Then the then the heavy training that you try to push yourself into it that maybe doesn't fit your style it doesn't fit your characteristic because some people because you can put some people on a on a track and tell them to do like uh, ten times one kilometers and a certain pace and do always the same but some of the people uh, they cannot I mean they hate this routine and you need to take into account this always because it might be less beneficial to force him into doing this one than actually doing something different. Something different that can be less less high intensity, but then it became more uh, it became more effective. And then it goes all together. So you have your physical part, your mental fatigue, your your emotion, your mood, your perceived ability, because it became a circle and it goes all together. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to give a plug here because it fits so perfectly with, uh, I love the app HRV for training because you can, yeah. you can measure your HRV, which is obviously a physiological parameter of yeah. importance for athletes, but it also prompts you to rate things like your mood, your motivation, your, your mental energy and, and all of these things. And that's a perfect example of how you can, you can track your, your mental state yeah. and emotional state. And uh, and see yeah. catch any red flags that might be coming up before it becomes uh, too serious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, because uh, art variability has been has uh, been into into the radar of many companies, so and that's why you can find now in many uh, of these new d- devices coming up. Oh yeah, that yeah. you can measure art variability because it's also nice. It's 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 a good in- indicator of your level of stress. Yeah. Or you're good indicator, or it's a side indicator of how you sleep, for example. Yeah. So let's so, let's move into the, yeah. the rapid fire questions, and uh, I <laughs> wanted to answer with one sentence or less. And the first one is: Yeah. What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to uh, endurance sports or any of the your field of expertise, so to say? Yeah, I must say because I mean uh, that's very it's it's not it's it's not difficult because I, w- I, I was very impressed when Alex Hutchinson came up with the book Endure 
because I mean, in a way, it synthesizes the type of research I've been doing for 10 years. But I must say, there is a book which also doing doing very well that I love it when I read it, and it was the Playmaker Advantage by Dan Peterson, Never. which is also it, which is also talks about the the implication of neuroscience into 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 sport performance. I strongly suggest to read the book. I will also because I will do that. Yeah, in a way, discusses well, discusses well this the the type of research we did, yeah. which I think is very interesting in the last in the last years. Uh, it goes on, it so. goes on my list. I've never heard of it, but it goes on my list immediately. Yeah. That's, yeah. What what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Uh, but success, you know, like can be many things. But personally, personally, I think it, re- it really depends on the, on the type of person you are. For a person like me, the I'm always like I have these racing thoughts. I call it like problem slash uh, advantage. I don't know. It depends because I have million of things coming up into my mind. I'm interested in many, many, many things. I want to get a get a hold of many things, and clearly there is no time. There is so. What I do, what I think I found very, very handy, it was actually to do meditation because you really allow to channel my energy into and focus on the few things I have to do at the moment. And automatically I became more, I became more efficient. And I would couple this one with a very good sleep routine because sleeping, it's a thing that people underestimate heavily. But then, and this doesn't mean that the routine has to have has to be like uh, eleven six, or you need to wake up at four. Because uh, I'm I'm not a fan to give it a time. It really depends what kind of life you're living. You can also go to bed at two o'clock at night, and you can wake up at nine. This is your routine. But having a routine like or or taking care of your sleeping habits to make sure that they're at the best. I think it's priceless because you really you gain a lot of time during the day and you gain a lot of uh, like fresh brain to work into things that makes you faster and more effective. Yep. I think those are those are two habits there that personally they really made a difference. I'm currently reading Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. It's uh, such an amazing <laughs> book. <laughs> it might, would, yeah. would probably be my answer right now to my favorite book related to endurance sports. Yeah, and I think you know you can. Uh, uh, you know now I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, interested in this power nap or these recovery pods or recovery area. I'm trying to make a recovery area in my office mm. or something like this. Yeah. You know because I think it become. I think it become very effective. Yeah. And finally, what do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your career? Uh, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm in my career, like because I I don't have a strong career as a, as a, as a, an athlete, but I remember I've been training heavily a lot physically, and if I knew before better the importance of the psychological aspect, I would have probably also put much more attention on that one. Because during the race, uh, many times happens that I failed to to achieve the target that I wanted, and I couldn't understand what was the reason. I think uh, in the last 20 years, there's been more involvement of uh, sport of sports psychology in it, and I think this is clarify a lot of things. Yeah. I think uh, this is something that I would have probably I would have had I would have had more. And uh, oh, I wanted to know more. Like, 
Yeah, absolutely. And and tell us where the listeners can follow you and your work if they want to see what's uh, going on and what new stuff you're putting out there. Yeah. Um uh, this is yeah this is what I'm trying to work on because I'm very bad in posting things and I should because because people realize I do a lot of things but they 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 don't know where to find me but in general I try my best to to post things on uh, on uh, LinkedIn and I've recently opened my Instagram but there is nothing yet so I'm trying my best also to post pictures and uh, things happening there but in general if you go on my linkedin i post a lot of uh, articles or a lot of uh, um, things happening like uh, in in what i do right so if you follow my linkedin it should be fine right and i try my best to to be more proactive into yeah. thank you so much for your time Walter. it's been yeah, uh, I'll super thank you, interesting Michael. and uh, yeah a pleasure talking to you and learning so much about this fascinating area Oh, that was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed talking to Walter. As you noticed, if you're a long-time listener, and I mean a very long-time listener, this was pretty much an update on the topics that we originally covered back way back two and a half years ago with the professor Samuele Marcora. It is well worth re-listening to that episode, episode 17. If this one caught your interest, you'll get more of the same topics and from a slightly different angle. So really, really great listen that one as well. One thing that I wanted to mention here that Walter and I discussed after the interview was the brain endurance training apps that Walter mentioned. He didn't mention them by name in the interview, but then I asked about them and it turns out that the names of these apps, they are available in the app stores, I would assume. They are Soma NPT, and that's S-O-M-A. And the other one is called Rewire. And it's actually not available right now. It was going to be released next year, sometime next year, is what Walter said. And uh, that one sounded pretty exciting in that uh, it's uh, designed to be able to use, for example, on the bike, you just put the phone in a holder on your handlebars, and then you can actually do the brain endurance training uh, that is designed for on-the-bike training. So so pretty, pretty cool stuff there. So Soma MPT and Rewire are those two apps that uh, Walter referred to. You can find the show notes for this episode as usual on thattriathlonshow.com and I'll link to related episodes like the one with Professor Marcora and also the one I did with uh, Alex Hutchinson on uh, the uh, curiously elastic limits of human performance. Great interview, that one as well. I'll also link to a couple of articles by Alex from the Sweat Science blog that have discussed uh, these, uh, these topics that we covered today with Walter. In the next episode, I interview Danny Lennon, who is the founder of Sigma Nutrition, uh, probably most well-known for the excellent Sigma Nutrition podcast that many of you will uh, for sure be familiar with. It's, uh, in my opinion, the best nutrition podcast out there. Very evidence-based, and uh, yeah, I love it. So make sure that you stay subscribed to the podcast and uh, don't miss the Q&As on Thursdays either. I actually get a lot of feedback that uh, a lot of listeners actually think that the Q&A episodes are the most useful of all because they generally 
tackle specific apply specific problems in applied situations and that can be very helpful to to really put context and uh, and exemplify some of the topics that we discuss on a perhaps more theoretical level in interviews and and general monday episodes in general so uh, thank you for that feedback that's uh, great to hear Big thanks before we go to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Get your free hydration plan and try your first box or tube of electrolytes for free with the promo code THATTRIATHLONSHOW, all on word, all caps. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, swimskins, trisuits, boys shorts, high-performance eyewear, and many, many other products. And get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.